0: All right, let's pray together for help from God as we open up his word once again this evening. Father, illuminate our hearts and minds tonight to see what you see and what you have revealed in your word. Move in ways tonight that only you can do show us not only what is in Scripture, but then also the implications of the truths from your powerful word onto our hearts and lives to make a difference in how we live, to make a difference in how we act and think, to set our hearts and move us towards agreement and transformation that your powerful word can do. Lord, help us in these things, and we say this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, how many of you remember the 1990s commercial with the sheriff on his horse about ready? to kind of be hung by the bad guys, the bandits. The bandits or this rough group of guys asked the sheriff before his pending doom, what did they ask him? What do you want on your tombstone? You all know the answer to that, of course. If you saw it, he replies, pepperoni and cheese as it was a tombstone pizza commercial. Anybody else remember that one? Maybe? Yeah, okay, couple. This evening, we're going to look at a different tombstone scene. Not a comedy commercial, but a real-life situation of a dear brother in Christ having his own tombstone moment before his pending death. We have a lot of ground to cover, as you can see on the screen, In our text, ranging from Acts chapter 6 all the way to the beginning of Acts chapter 8, this account of Stephen, of course, and his tombstone sermon to a hostile crowd of people who wanted him dead. This really is, as we'll see, tombstone preaching. Let's see it from our passage beginning at Acts 6 and verses 8 through 15 in our first point, the diabolical slander of a faithful preacher. Let's see it in our Bibles. Open there. Turn there to the book of Acts so you can see it and you can track along. The diabolical slander of a faithful preacher. Look at me at verse 8 of Acts chapter 6. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth We'll destroy this place and we'll change the customs that Moses delivered up to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Our brother Stephen here was a faithful man, spoke the truth, and in his faithfulness, And with the power of the Spirit upon him? Did it lead him to a a cozy and easy life? Did it lead him to lots of friends and popularity? No, it led him to this conflict that we see here. It led to slander and gossip, it led to false representations. It led to people stirring up others against him to cause some kind of a crazy scene and riot to get against him. Stephen. Stephen was a man who was being faithful. And Stephen had people doing unjust things to him. Though even in all of this, the brother was filled with the Spirit. And when the Spirit is upon A Christian, even the most evil and vile tactics of demon-influenced people aren't going to withstand and withhold a man filled with the Spirit proclaiming the truth to the people all around him. They couldn't deny it because he had such wisdom. They were instigating. They had to revert to tactics of doing different things to get the crowd stirred up. They they had to, to, to say false things against him, twist his message, twist the gospel message, twist everything about Jesus in order to get people against him. All they cared about was coming against this man that day. But this man, full of the Holy Spirit, was in his tombstone moment and and whether Stephen knew it or not beforehand uh, I'm not very sure but the brother was filled with the spirit and he was bold and he didn't back down certainly Stephen oh certainly Stephen knew the stakes were high but because the spirit was at work guess what happened guess what happened he didn't back down he didn't chicken out he didn't run away he didn't take off even when they were coming against him with these unjust things he stood there like a man filled with the Spirit, proclaiming the truth, and it said like his face shone like an angel. He, it was like that of an angel. A lot, a lot of people have seen angels as we've been seeing it around Christmas time, and people seeing an angel and that impact upon them. It's not an everyday occurrence, but but Stephen there had something special going on because certainly you would you would think, right? You would think that, that, that God was, was, was present and that angels were even present. And so you see Stephen there in his tombstone moment, prepared to speak the truth even to an unruly crowd. Think about our brother and this dire situation that he was in. Now, we need to continue on because we have a lot, like I mentioned, we're going to continue on to the sermon now that he preaches, that killed him, quite literally. His tombstone sermon. And because it's so long, we're going to have to know, make brief comments throughout while we read it as Stephen's final sermon here will shape the majority of the time that we have in our short evening's time slot here together this evening. And so pay close attention. Open Bible or, or see it on the screen. Follow the argument. Track with our brother here, This is a life and death kind of sermon. I couldn't imagine standing up to preach knowing that potentially the crowd may take my life. That's serious stuff. That is serious stuff. See the urgency. Lean in to see it and to benefit from Scripture today. Point number two. This is the introduction of his tombstone sermon. The introduction seeing primarily here, Truths from the book of Genesis. Look at me in Acts chapter 7 and verses 1 to 16 for this. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And here's the thing. The high priest should not have been listening to gossip and slander of this righteous man to begin with. But he went along with the crowds and the stirrings and the this and the that in a foolish way himself. And he says, Hey, is this true? Stephen? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. Here's the introduction to his sermon. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham, going all the way back to Genesis, when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans, and lived in Haran. would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after they that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. Just get this, The, the, the crowds are there, people are slandering, there's all this intense things going on, and what does Stephen do? He starts a sermon walking through the scriptures to get to his points. Starts all the way back into the book of Genesis, and starts pointing these things out that they already know. He's basically preaching to the choir. They know these things. They memorize these things. They grow up with these things. But Stephen gets at it. Why? Because he's going to make an argument here. At this point, they're all like, okay, why are you telling me this? But this is a sermon introduction. This is the tombstone sermon introduction. And the patriarchs, it goes on in verse 9, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh. We know the story, right? King of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on the their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all, and Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and his fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. So Stephen here in his introduction to the sermon is just telling them things that they know from the book of Genesis. We know that that story, right? We can get into all the things about God's providential dealings and how how uh, what what the brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. Look at the wisdom of God, it is great. It'll be great if we get there in Genesis. I like plan on hopefully getting us to that those portions of Genesis at one point. So many glorious things, but that's his introduction to this sermon, his tombstone sermon. Or what does it go to next? What's the body of a sermon? We saw the introduction. The body of a sermon we see here in point number three. The body of the tombstone sermon. Exodus, Joshua, David, and Solomon. He just continues to walk through the history of the people of God and scripture. Let's see it together. This is all leading to a point. This is all leading to a head. This is his final sermon. This is his final message before the people. This is intense. Let's see what he says next in verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born. And he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Do you think that they knew this? Religious leaders knew this story? He, he knows the scriptures, but he's walking them through. This is biblical theology, just walking through, making a point. They knew the story, they read it in a certain way, but they weren't making the connections that Stephen's going to make. But let's stick with them and see what he says. Now in verse 23. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, what? He defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside and said, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you not want to kill me as you killed the Egyptians yesterday, the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an uh, exile in the land of Midian, where he had became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in the flame of fire in a bush, When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came a voice from the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now I will send you now come, I will send you to Egypt. So this is still just the history of the scriptures. We see this in Exodus. We see this progression. We know this. They know this. But Stephen's making a point here. He's building his case. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt. And at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with an angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for Moses, who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, and it is written, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Still, we know this. He's walking through biblical history. And he goes on to say, "'Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch,' it's a false god, "'and the star of your god, rephan "'the images that you made to worship, "'and I will send you to exile beyond Babylon.'" They're worshiping false gods while Moses is communion with God, receiving his law. They're worshiping false gods. We know this story from the Scriptures. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it with Joshua when they disp- dispossessed the nation That God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? did not... My hand, make all these things, the Lord says there. You see, he's walking through biblical history. Do you think a man like Stephen knew his Bible very well? For him to be able to be in this tombstone moment, about ready to be killed, he's able to rattle off all this biblical history. you think he knew his Bible well? No, oh, what? Our sermon this morning on benefiting from preaching, this is something we can add to it. We want to know the scripture so we could speak and proclaim and make connections like our brother Stephen who's gone ahead of us and was an example to us. He knew his word well so he could proclaim a sermon that just basically just walks through the whole Bible. So we saw his introduction. We saw the body of his sermon telling them things that they already know from the scriptures. What's next? His conclusion. And point number four, the conclusion of the tombstone sermon. Stiff-necked hearers. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Oh, Now, if that's not a burn, then I don't know what else is. But Stephen there, he's not shying back. He doesn't do his Bible lesson and like, all right, we all know that now. That's good. We walked through it, everybody. We know that. We're happy with that. Let's move on. No, he presses it in. He pushes it home. He he hits them at the reality of where they're at. The foolishness of where they're at. These are people who should have known better. They should have known the scriptures, anticipated the Savior, and worshipped him. But instead, they wanted him dead. And it continues on. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Oh, you talk about the law. Oh, you're worried about uh, me speaking against the law. You're you're worried about the law and oh, what Jesus has to do with the law and all concerned with your traditions and stuff. Oh, you who care so much about the the, the law, you don't even keep it yourself. This is a burn. And he's leaning in in his tombstone sermon. Can you hear his heart? Pumping. Could you imagine if this is where you were at? These were a stiff-necked people, also related to our sermon this morning, benefiting from preaching. Stiff-necked people won't get anything about out of the Bible, anything out of a sermon. They want nothing for it. These were religious people who had professions of faith, but yet were stiff-necked, did not receive it. The, the the word would come, the truth would come, Jesus would come, and they just stiff-armed it and put it aside. They didn't want it. They fought against it. And the whole history of religion and the history of biblical religion, even into the Old Testament, we see, what do they do? The, many of them... Many of them continued to fight against the truth, hate the truth. In fact, they would persecute the truth proclaimers. The prophets always have the worst job. Why? Because everyone didn't like them, didn't like what they were saying. They were, they were to give this message that wasn't popular. People came against them, persecuted them, and now they're persecuting Jesus and apostles and other believers this is nothing new. They're just going to continue to do it. Stephen knew it. They all knew it. He told them what they knew in the scriptures all the way to lead them to say, hey, hey, you care all about this law. I know you know it like the back of your hand. But you're just a stiff-necked person. You, you're not going to see it. You're not going to hear it. You're not going to love it. You're not going to receive it. You're not going to keep it. You think they liked hearing that? You think that was a popular message? Was that one of the self-help book tips? Was that the, the, the best-selling uh, preachers saying all the nice things that make everybody happy? Was, was that the message? Was that what we lean into? Is that what we see here? Stephen didn't read those books. He wasn't interested in those books. He was interested in this book and the implications of this book that led him to a point to where he's preaching a sermon. This dear brother. This dear brother that if we're believers one day, we could commend him in his tombstone sermon one day. This dear brother was preaching a sermon all the way to his death. Let's see it in point number five. We, hear, we know the response time here at First Baptist Church of Gallatin. Let's see the response time here. Point number five, response to the tombstone sermon. Murdering the preacher. verse 54 of chapter 7. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. That's about right. That's what I kind of would think that they would be. I'm happy about this. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What a provision that God gave Stephen that day. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Talk about rushing the pulpit. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Pummeled him with large rocks until he had no more breath. Bloodied, beaten, a preacher preaching his tombstone sermon leading to his martyrdom. That's Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. His brother's praying. As he's being killed after he preached a faithful, bold sermon. In verse 60, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Sound familiar? It's not that Stephen, or Jesus for that matter, was interested in people getting saved apart from faith in Jesus and apart from Jesus. It's just that Stephen wanted people there, even people there while he was dying, he wanted them to get saved because he had the Holy Spirit and he had a heart to see the potential of people getting saved even when they were doing terrible things to him. Speaking of, for that matter, chapter 8 and verse 1 and Saul, also known as the Apostle Paul himself, He wrote 13 letters of the New Testament, if you didn't know. And Saul approved of his execution prior to his conversion, prior to Apostle Paul being a Christian. He approved of it. He gave the go And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen And made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Stephen didn't know the prayer that he prayed would have been answered. Saul would be forgiven for his great sin. The Apostle Paul saw himself as the chiefest of sinners for a good reason. He knew his sin. He was a persecutor of the church. He gave approval of this poor man's unjust killing. He preached a faithful sermon and he gets killed. That's the tombstone sermon. Stephen is a model for us of great biblical conviction even to the point of death. We've been seeing this and the importance of this and the worldview of this over and over again in our Matthew series. Gospel farmers sent, gospel farmers persecuted. Jesus taught over and over again about the persecution that was going to come. Jesus knew persecution. He was killed. He was murdered. He He was put to death. And we're not greater than our... Savior and Lord, right? If it happened to him, it will happen later to others. And Stephen is an example of that. Thank God that Jesus taught on these things as we've seen in Matthew. Do you see how relevant it is? Relevant to them, relevant specifically, directly to Stephen. Don't you think that Stephen would have heard the words of his wonderful Lord Jesus, and heard about the great preaching of his, through the different apostles about all that Jesus said about persecution and, and remaining firm until the end. And if Jesus was persecuted, we would be persecuted. And you think that that boldness was empowered by the Spirit in Stephen that day? Oh, you better believe it. The Lord has been putting this on our Church calendar for a reason. We've seen it in Matthew. We also saw in our last evening service sermon in Peter dealing with persecution preparation. I don't know why, but this is all just happening and coming at the same time. I think Acts 7 was the reading from yesterday from the Robert Murray McShane reading plan. Those of us who are reading that plan together in Acts 7, just this is a glorious reality that we're seeing here for a reason. God put it in the Bible because it's profitable for us. Let us take it to heart. Let our faith be emboldened by seeing the faith of our dear brother Stephen. When we feel like we might back down from that conversation, we feel like, oh, I don't know if we could do this." or remember a guy like Stephen who, on his final last moments, preached a sermon where he didn't back down, even though he knew of the uh, potential opposition. The guy was stoned at the end of his sermon. Let that embolden us to see how we might respond, how we might respond under pressure. Look at the Spirit giving him the words and helping him, also, as we've seen in in Matthew. Look at the provision of God opening up the heavens. Oh, isn't that touching? Isn't that touching that in this moment of his impending death to be stoned and all this terrible stuff happening to him, God gave him a vision of Jesus at the right hand of the Father? Isn't that glorious? Isn't that wonderful? Does that not lift up your faith? This is what scripture's to do. This is why it's powerful. This is why it's profitable. This is why we need it. Let's benefit from it. Let it move us and let it change us. Let it transform us and let it inform our very prayers this evening. As we pray one to another, pray to God with each other for his glory, for our good, for our help. Let it inform our time of prayer as a congregation right Let's pray to close. Father, thank you for what you've done through your people, through the history, throughout the scriptures, and specifically here in Stephen. Thank you for his boldness. Thank you for his clarity of conviction. Thank you for his knowledge of the word. Thank you that he benefited from preaching so that he might preach himself faithful truth, share faithful truth. Thank you that he knew the Bible, that he could communicate in such a way with boldness. Thank you that you saved him and you gave him your Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit can produce a kind of boldness like this. We recognize that he's our brother not because we knew him and we were able to talk with him and find out his testimony. Oh, but we could see his testimony right here in Scripture and we can see your truth and we can see your work in him. The evidence of the Spirit, would you lay that evidence of the Spirit on each and every one of our hearts as well and that it would pour out radical Christian living and conviction and boldness and purpose in our lives. Oh, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we've gleaned tonight. Continue to minister to us through it this evening and the rest of the week and the rest of our lives. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen.